Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome. Today, we're going to be dissecting all things tantrums. So I put a nifty little graphic on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and I was astounded at the response about tantrums. And so that graphic was a an arc of a tantrum. And the responses astounded me because there were so many misconceptions about tantrums and so many kind of random questions that I thought, oh my God, okay, this is a podcast. (laughs) So let's break down and unpack tantrums. So one of the questions that I got on Instagram that I thought was very interesting question, and I'm going to lead with it because I think it's very important, is I don't understand the difference between tantrums, meltdowns, and big feelings. And I like this question because some of this is just semantics, but some of it actually is a differentiation. Yeah. And so for me, tantrums have to do with intensity and presence. So a tantrum, once a tantrum gets going, your child is gone. I call it gone. Like they've left the planet. They are no longer in the room with you, you know, kind of psychologically, spiritually, however you want to view that. They're on a track. They're in an altered state. Yeah. And the intensity is going to be really strong. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Well, well, there's a window of opportunity where you can stop it, but for the most part, the tantrum will go on and you have to just sort of ride it out. It's usually longer than big feelings or meltdowns. And it's usually a lot of times it's zero to 60 and it's out of, um, it may not even be explainable. Meltdowns, I categorize this, and I don't know if this is how it is in the regular world. Again, we're just dealing with semantics, but for me, meltdowns have to do more with something out of your child's control that's affecting them. So largely hungry, tired, sick, or overstimulated. A lot of times too, I feel like a meltdown is when our expectations are off and we expect too much from the child and they just can't even. So that's the phrase I use when a kid is melting down. I'm like, oh, that poor thing, that poor thing just can't even. And so I think the difference is a meltdown is you're not actually, during a tantrum, you might feel like you're actually meeting the devil. (laughs) Like your child may seem completely different kind of beastly. Yeah. And a tantrum, a meltdown will make you feel more sad. You'll be like, oh, poor thing. So that's how I categorize those. Now, meltdowns can be kind of intense. They tend to be more like literally your child melts 
and falls to the ground, right? (laughs) We've all had those moments. Now, big feelings to me, big feelings are those big reactions. Yeah. I've gone through this a couple of times, but I really think it's important. Big feelings are different from big reactions and big reactions. Yes, your child is having a big feeling, but it's a knee jerk reaction. And they're like, wires got crossed. Their skin is inside out. And they just like had this momentary freak out. And that can be about anything. And those are the big feelings of like the frustrating ones, right? And those are the cut the sandwich into squares instead of triangles, you know, the blue cup instead of the red cup can't have the toy they want. So those are big feelings and big reactions. They tend to be very quick. They tend to be very loud and aggressive, but they also tend, um, yeah, length of time. They tend to, to happen fast, but also last very quickly. Now, all of these can meld and morph into each other, right? Like a big feeling, a big reaction can lead to a tantrum. And likewise, meltdowns can turn into a tantrum as well. So they can they can morph a little, but that's how I categorize them. So I hope that's helpful. In speaking about tantrums, we want to look at like what's normal, what's not normal, why do they happen? And what can we do about them, right? And so we're getting into tricky territory here when we talk about anything that's quote unquote normal. So please bear that in mind. Please don't jump off a cliff because you think, you know, something I've said and I've said it's not normal or it's not average. It's not within normal range. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. And when we look at what's wrong or why something might be happening, oftentimes Tantrums can happen literally because the child has to poop. So one thing I've noticed, you know, I've always noticed this about kids, but it's really funny having Maverick here because he gets almost frantic before he has to poop. So that can be a problem. So if your child's withholding or you suspect constipation, but particularly with withholding, it could very well be that that's caused by needing to poop. Now, Tantrums can also be because of food allergies or sensitivities. Yeah, it can be a number of things. So don't jump too wrong as being like, oh my God, he's got a behavioral issue. He's got a diagnosis or something is, you know, psychologically wrong. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. And we're going to talk about a wide range of what normal, what average might look like. So most behavioral therapists agree that a tantrum why they happen is a tantrum is one, a demand for attention. You know, pick me up, hold me, carry me. A demand for something tangible, which is, I think, the one where most parents see with frequency. You know, I want X, Y, and Z. I can't have X, Y, and Z because of whatever. And then a tantrum could be an escape from demand. You know, I need you to get dressed. We're ready to leave the house. Can you please put on your shoes? And you end up with this tantrum. Now, I think, again, these can all be meltdowns or big feelings, particularly an escape from demand, I think sometimes can be a meltdown, you know, a just like, I can't handle this right now. So bear in mind that these aren't just tantrums. These can also be meltdowns and big feelings. Even as we explore like why they happen and what we can do about them, we always, always, always really want to be trying to translate, right? Like what is happening? So that really factors into when we look at what's normal or not is, is it explainable? And if it is, 
let's do something about it. Okay. Because unexplainable tantrums kind of edge into not normal. Right. So we're always looking to translate and I'm going to be endlessly plugging my book. Oh crap. I have a toddler throughout this podcast. If you haven't already bought it, because like the reason I wrote this book was helping parents deal with the chaotic behavior you see in a two, three-year-old, right? And so that includes the chaos, includes tantrums, meltdowns, and big feelings. So like, that's literally why I wrote the book. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be plugging that as to it's really, the whole book is about what's underneath the behavior and what's underneath us as parents that we're contributing to the behavior and what we can do to help the child mitigate all their crazy, chaotic, crappy behavior. So let's look at a few things about like what constitutes quote unquote normal. Tantrums usually start developmentally somewhere in the 16 month to three year mark. And that's They can start earlier and they can, of course, go later, but that's generally the time frame. And remember, the reason they're having a tantrum is number one, explosive brain development. So I've said this before on the podcast, I was privy to MRIs of, of brains in kids every day from newborn to five years old. And if you saw the brain development, you would freak out. It's so rapid. It's so crazy. It just explains so much of why our kids are such whack jobs at this age, because it is this rapid brain development. So literally, sometimes I think that tantrums come on just because like the brain circuitry gets jammed, you know, a lot of times too, like, I just think we forget, like you have this kid and they're your everything and it's your heart working outside of your body. And you're looking ahead to like, you know, how they're growing and developing. And we forget like 16 months to three years is so ridiculously new on the planet. Like think of a job, like you've only been at a job, like 16 months, you're going to figure out some of the rules, but Jesus, like they're figuring out all the rules of life. It's craziness. So part of it is just that, you know, another part of it is language skills are so underdeveloped as are emotional wisdom and emotional maturity. And not that, not that your kids are going to get that for a long time, but it's really new right now. So they don't have the words. They don't have the, the pause, you know, like most of us have somewhat of a pause, maybe not like when we're driving, but we, we like, okay, let me take a breath. Let me not freak out about this, right? And so that's what happens. Now, hopefully by three, three and a half into four, your child really starts to develop some of those skills. So tantrums after three and a half are concerning, okay? And and again, I can't put exact numbers on this. So if your kid is three and six months, like, you know, three and eight months and they're still tantruming, like don't get locked into like super firm numbers here. These are really broad strokes. But definitely at four and five, your child may occasionally have a tantrum. Of course, they're still little, they're still learning. They're still, they still can be very raw and feelings close to the surface. But you should not be seeing four and five-year-old tantrums regularly, okay? That indicates that something is off. We want to look at frequency. I had put on this Instagram that, you know, a few a week are developmentally appropriate. And again, the response I got was astounding. Like People were like, what? My kid has 10 a day. And what's more concerning is they seemed to think this was average and they seemed to think this was okay and normal. So much so that oftentimes, you know, I 
you know, I am an expert in this. I am well-versed in, in a lot of these behaviors, but sometimes even I get like off track. So I actually, before doing this podcast, I was like, wait a minute, am, did I get off track? Are like, are tantrums more frequent? And somehow like, oh, I, I rewrote it, you know, like we can all do that. So I went and I hit Google and without a doubt, expert after expert after expert after expert says a few a week are developmentally appropriate. So I was not off base. 10 tantrums a day is too much. Yeah, it's too much. And one thing I think that happens when we are talking about tantrums, particularly with frequency, is we have a weird sort of village now. I I say we lost our village, but we have mom groups and we have close friends. And a couple of things happen. Like motherhood is oddly judgmental, right? And so people be like, oh my God, you know, her kid's totally out of control. But then we're oddly forgiving in the other direction. And I think it's damaging us. Like I hear too many people like, oh, my six-year-old's still in diapers. Don't worry about it. They're not going to go to college in diapers. No, but a six-year-old in diapers is damaging. Like that's not right. You know, or, oh, my five-year-old's still in a crib. It's fine. No, no. Having a child almost in kindergarten in a crib is not fine. Like there are these markers that we have that help children build developmentally and autonomously. We want to build these things because it has to do with things later in life. You know what I mean? And we talked about that with the big play. Like if you're literally getting your four or five-year-old out of a crib, how do you expect them to be autonomous? Like that's, that's weird. So it's really important to keep our eye on these markers, not because like you have to keep your kid on track, but because there is a developmental path that they have to take and it's stacking. So one thing I hear with frequency of tantrums is so there's a, like an odd forgiveness. Oh yeah. My kid screams from morning till night. It's cool. No, it's not something could be wrong. And here's the thing is like, we don't, it's not that like you want to say like, oh, something's wrong with your kid, but what if something is like, what if they have a digestive problem or they are constipated and you can't even really tell because they are still pooping, which by the way, you can be constipated and still poop. So the biggest problem with like brushing off kind of out of the norm behavior is that we're not getting to the root of the problem and your child really could be suffering. So be cautious of that because that's a, a real thing that's happening in our world today is this like, ah, it's all okay. And it's not, you know, and you know, I, I want to allow grace for every parent, you know, it's okay in the sense of like, dude, I know you're doing your best. I get that. But it's not okay in the sense of like, if your child's suffering, we really want to fix that before or attend to it at the very least. So that's frequency. One thing you want to look at again in the normal range is level of aggression. So particularly in a tantrum, when your child is in an altered state, there is often a flailing of the body, right? And there is some aspect of keeping yourself safe and keeping your child safe. But you want to look at, is your child particularly aggressive? So is there like a shit ton of biting, kicking, like they're going, it looks like they want to kill you. They're going to go after you. Or are they hurting themselves, slamming their head against the floor, slamming their head into a wall? And again, not, there's sort of a difference of they're flailing. So it's accidental. And then there's, uh, you can tell they're like kind of doing it with purpose. So that would be concerning. Occasionally, every kid's going to have a crazy berserk physical tantrum. Again, occasionally. But if that's how your child is tantruming on the regular, that is of concern. Okay. Another area that we want to look at for a marker is, is your child tantruming only with you and your very close family, usually you and your spouse, or 
are they tantruming across the board? So is school complaining? Is daycare complaining? Is, you know, when you're out and about, does your child often tantrum out in public, out in public, like when they should be having fun, you know, like at the playground, as opposed to, you know, the grocery store, if you try to take them clothes shopping, you know, here's the tricky thing. If it's just with you, it's awesome. That means your child feels safe. That means that a really great gauge of parenting is when your child's an angel with other people and just the devil with you. That means that they feel very safe with letting all their shitty behavior come out. I know it doesn't make it any easier, but psychologically speaking, that's better. If your child has no wherewithal of like sort of maintaining quote unquote good behavior with strangers or at school, then something could be wrong. So that's of concern. Duration. Your average tantrum should last somewhere in the six to 12 minute range. And I know that 12 minutes can feel like fucking hell. So, you know, if you're unsure, you might actually like want to set a timer, you know, grab your phone and and start the timer just to see, because I think time gets really mushed up when you're dealing with a, a really epic tantrum. Again, not hard and fast. I would say under six minutes means you're not really dealing with a tantrum. You're dealing with those big feelings or big reactions or a meltdown. Six to um, over 12 minutes, if your child's doing, you know, and again, not 13, 14, but if you have like half hour long tantrums, that is of concern. Also, if your child has a really hard time coming out of the tantrum, that's also of concern, okay? Then the next thing is, is it explainable or is it like zero to 60 and you don't even know what happened? So that is of concern. And again, that happens. I see that a lot with food sensitivities and allergies. And we are seeing some humdingers in just in my potty training work. Like it used to be, you know, gluten, soy, dairy, citrus, uh, shellfish, peanuts. Those used to be the big allergies, you know, tree nuts. And now it's just bizarre. So if your child, you know, start like doing a little bit of a tracking, you know, if you feel like your child has, you're like, wait a minute, it's almost always after meals that he has a tantrum, start kind of doing a loose tracking of, of that. In general, I feel like with tantrums, you always want to look at patterns. You want to look at patterns. Does it happen at a certain time of day? Does it happen with certain behaviors with certain people? That could be a big red flag. Yeah. Those are the things to be concerned, but let's talk about like what to do and, and in the moment. So that can be a little more helpful in determining too, if your child is coming out of the tantrum easily or not. I'm also, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There's a great article by a doctor. It's in the Huffington Post and she figured out a tantrum scale. So it's one of those, like, you know, you mark with frequency, like how things happen. And I think it's a really great tool, especially in our world right now where, it's very confusing, I think, being a parent because there's so much information. So it's really hard to get like hard data. And I think that this doctor's done a really good job of, of putting a framework around what could be normal or not. And so I think it's a really good idea to go there and check that out. So I'll put that in the show notes. So one of the things, you know, let's look at big feelings first. We'll do tantrums last. So big feelings and reactions, that is where I feel very strongly about my go to your room strategy. And if you're unfamiliar with that, that's um, at the beginning of season two here on Patreon. So I think that is, it's okay to have a big reaction. It's not okay to like have a kid screaming in your face. You don't want to immediately try to fix the re- the big reaction. You want to 
You want the child to self-regulate and that often has to happen on its own. So a lot of times we think that we can help a child self-regulate and we can't necessarily. So that is when I use the go to your room strategy, it's not a punishment. It's not a timeout. It's a space to allow the child to figure out what self soothes them. And so that usually helps the child calm down. They usually come out of their room. We don't process anything. And then they go on with their day. And if you're confused about this, please, I've done like three really long podcasts about this. So go back and, and listen to those. Meltdowns, how we handle meltdowns is you fix it. So one of the things that I can't stand about parents who, who are constantly, consistently, and, I, and we all get screwed sometimes with our kids being hungry. We all get screwed with sleep sometimes. We all get screwed with ex- expectations. So that's a normal part of parenting. But literally in my mom groups when Pascal was little, I had at least three people who would do this. So it, it makes me think that it's fairly common, which is it's an excuse all the time. So the kid is constantly melting down and the parents like, oh, they're just hungry. They're just hungry. Feed them like, oh, he's just tired. Okay, cool. Once in a while. Yeah, of course. The kid's going to be tired. They're going to be crankalicious. They're going to fall out in the grocery store like that happens. But if it's happening all the time, you've got to adjust sleep. It is not cool for a toddler to be underslept. Like we have this badge of honor of being underslept in our lives. And I have parents who swear their kids are night owls. It's it's really not kids circadian rhythms. They're not night owls. So please, please, please get them sleep get them food. <laughs> like really fix it. One of, I have to tell you guys a really funny story. My friend, her, when her kid was little, it was the funniest thing I have ever seen in my life. And I wish I had had the wherewithal to, to film it for YouTube. So her little one started to fall out and she, she knew it was hunger. And she also knew that at a certain point in time, like there was this window of opportunity in which she could get the child to eat. I mean, this little girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, like the, the, just like could be a model, like the definition of angelic looking, you know, just, and she was a very sweet child. And I watched astounded as the beast came out of this kid. And so my friend was like, oh man, she's hungry. I got to get food. She runs to the fridge. She had like leftover chicken wings. She held this kid down and nearly shoved the chicken wing in the kid's mouth. And you, when I say it was like the Hulk, like, you know, the transformation of the Hulk and like reversing it, like the kid was like freaking out. And then she started to nibble on the chicken wing. And then she could like, then she started to calm down and calm down and calm down. And, and then she ate it and then she ate another one. And like within three minutes, the kid was like, oh, thank you, mommy. (sighs) Can I have one more, please? It was the most unbelievable transformation I've ever seen in my life. So all by way of saying like, if your kid is that kid who you can tell the hunger is happening, like even if you have to shove food, get it in because you have that window of opportunity. And what I loved about this friend too is that like she knew it, she could see it happening. And again, like we all get screwed. Sometimes the kid falls off the cliff with hunger. It's not like we can be expected to to preempt it at all times, but it was, it was pretty heroic watching her fix it. Like, and then the kid was so happy. It was unbelievable. So with the meltdowns, fix it. Yeah. Especially hungry tired, overstimulated. Be really cautious, you guys, with your kid who's under four. I really feel strongly that we should be keeping them away from overstimulation, you know, like Dave and Buster's, Chuck E. Cheese, these places. And I know like we've been 
in a pandemic for a year. So they haven't experienced these things, but even more so like as we get into birthday parties again, like be really cautious. Are there lights? Are there, is there loud noise? Is it overstimulating? Even the children's museum can be totally overstimulating. So plan your outings, especially especially coming out of the pandemic, make them sure. Do not plan a two-hour outing to the Children's Museum. It just might be too much for your kid to handle. Even two-hour play dates might be too much for your kid to handle right now. So be careful of the overstimulation because that's when a lot of meltdowns happen. And um, of course, a meltdown could also be because your child's getting sick. So, you know, be aware of that. And a meltdown can happen because where our expectations are too high. So one of the things you really want to look at with a meltdown, you know, like if you put your, you know, you told your kid to put their shoes on and regularly they do it no problem, right? And then this one day they just melt down. This isn't a place to dig in your heels, right? Kids wake up and have shitty days. It's astounding to me that we don't remember that. Parents expect their kids to be in the same mood every single day when they wake up. And they're just like us. They could have had a restless night. They could have had a bad dream. Uh, You know, they can wake up all kinds of shitty for no reason. So, you know, be aware of that. If your child is, you know, all of a sudden they can't do something, it's okay to lean into that and help them. You know, and it's also, if you feel like your child really melts down every single day during the transition, think about elongating that transition or fixing the transition somehow. Because again, if the patterns, if you can see the pattern, there's something we can do about it, right? So now let's go into tantrums and the arc of a tantrum and what to do about a tantrum. So once you've ascertained that, like, you know, it's a meltdown, you, your child just needs some love. Your child needs some food. Your child needs to sleep. Your child needs to leave the, the, the place that's overwhelming them, you know, or you've determined, wow, this kid's just having a big feeling. It's okay. I don't have to attend to every single big feeling because that would lead to entitlement. Right. But you can recognize that you just know because you're the parent and I really trust your intuition on this. You can tell it's ramping up. So what do you do about it and can you stop it? So the arc of the tantrum starts, it's, it's just like a curve, right? And so about a quarter of the way up, you do have this window of opportunity in which you may distract the tantrum. Distract the tantrum does not mean bribe your child. So be really cautious of that. So when you can see them ramping up, that is not the time to be like, oh, 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 you want some candy? Oh, 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 do you want to get down? Do you want to play? Do you want mommy to do this? Don't become a dancing monkey. I call it juggling fire and spinning plates. Like don't go overboard in trying to get your child out of the tantrum. Okay, number one, you're stopping the feeling. Yeah. And you're also, that's going to lead to entitlement because your child's going to know if I start having a strong reaction, my mom will jump through hoops to try to get, well, all of those were circus metaphors. So there's something to that. Like don't start a three ring circus to get your child out of a tantrum. Okay. How you can distract though, a really good way to distract in that window of opportunity is to bring your child back to their body. Try to bring them into some awareness and some mindfulness. You guys do not ever say the word mindfulness to your kid. It's one of those like calm down. Let's be mindful. It really doesn't work. It's really ineffective. But what you could say is something like, hey, why don't we take three giant breaths? (gasps) Just like that. Or, oh my goodness, how about we go outside? Let's go outside and see if we can see any birds in the sky. Something very specific and something that will ground your child 
and keep them rooted in reality. And so again, did you hear the, the specificity? Let's take three giant breaths. Let's go outside and see if we can count any birds in the sky. So that gives a real clear, let's not go outside. Let's go outside and immediately look at the sky and start counting birds, yeah? Let's go see if there's any flowers we can smell. Be very specific, yeah? And it's gotta be an action and that has something to do with senses, a sensory action. Like, hey, can we go Can we go do a handstand? Let's go outside and do a somersault. Something like that, that gets them back in their body or back in their senses. Now, if you are unable to distract with that and your child begins to really escalate, and this will be like a minute or two, it will happen pretty fast. After about like three quarters of the way up that arc, your child will probably start to leave their leave their body, leave the room. All of these are ways I, I say they're going into an altered state. They're not present. So once you've determined that they're gone, that's what I call it. They're gone. Just don't try to logic. Don't try to distract them. Don't even look them in the eye. And I've learned this from social work, like dealing with some of some of the hugest reactions I've ever seen in kids. And these like epic tantrums that could like six grown people couldn't, you know, hold a child down. If you look a child in the eye, it will just kind of activate them. I think it has something to do with you, like seeing their, their shame full on. And they don't, that, that causes a big reaction. I don't exactly know why, but that's my, that's my theory. So really just a soft gaze, maybe on the floor. Don't try to get them out of it. At the very peak of the tantrum, is an opportunity to hold space. And I got a couple of questions on Instagram about not knowing what hold space means. Holding space is a therapeutic term. A lot of times it is used in therapy and that's what your therapist will be doing. And it's really, I wish more friends were hip to this thing, you know, because when we come to each other, oftentimes we want our friends to hold space, which is just hear us, be present, be present with inaction. It's specifically in action. It's not trying to fade or fix the pain that the other person is in. It's literally just being present with inaction. And so that can look a couple of ways in a t- mid tantrum. If the tantrum's bringing down the house and you have to sort of be there, you want to make sure your child's safe. I like to sit with my back against the wall on the floor on their level. I like to back against the a wall because that way, if your child is going through a physical tantrum, there won't be a sneak attack on you from behind. And then you can just hold space and, and soft gaze. Don't say anything. Just be there. Be present. I was talking and dissecting holding space with my friend Kat, who said that she likes to hold space, that holding space doesn't necessarily have to be sitting with the child. So she likes to hold space by being present, but doing something else like washing dishes or doing something like that. I think the key is in how you feel about it. And that is some nonverbal communication or vibe that you're sending out. We're not ignoring the child. We're present, but we're not actively trying to touch them or reason with them or do anything like that. We're just literally being present with inaction. Now, as the tantrum starts to go down, that curve starts to go down, you can tell it's starting to wind down. A big mistake most people make is trying to end the tantrum too early. About a quarter of the way down this curve, and I'm going to try to put the, I'm going to, I hopefully I can get this image into Patreon, but also if you need to go back and look at my Instagram for this image, if that makes it easier. So about a quarter of the way down the arc, 
the child is still gone. Yeah. So let them complete this, this circuit, this cycle. Don't try to end it too early because you may reactivate the child, but you also may like cause some like stuffing in of the feelings. It's really important that the child get, get this out. Like think of it as a whole cycle and that they just have to get it out and it has to complete itself. And so again, you don't necessarily have to be quiet, but that's where you might get down on their level if you're holding space, you know, standing up doing something, or if you're still sitting with your back against the wall, what you might want to do is just say one phrase very softly, maybe even whispering something like, I am here when you need me. Something very simple. Don't complicate it. Like when a child's in that altered state, saying the same thing over and over again releases them from anxiety. It releases them from shame. They can loosen up whatever altered state they're in and they can come back to you. And then the last part as that happens is hold and restore. So this is when you want to physically hold your child. Most kids need to be held after a tantrum. Compression activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So you want to hold them tight, you know, I mean, not too tight. (laughs) You want to hold them tight and you want to just love on them and restore your connection because the connection was 100% ruptured through the altered state of the tantrum. You do not process the tantrum. Do not go back and say what happened. Do not go back and do an I told you so. Go. Do not go back and question the child's behavior. Just hold and restore the connection and then move on with your day. Your child might be, their ass might be kicked. They might be tired. It might be time for some downtime and a few stories if possible. So that's the arc of the tantrum. And I think that the biggest damage people do is trying to interrupt it or trying to stop it. And that's when number one, you do some damage because you get into bribery. Like you get into trying to do too many crazy things to stop it. But also we want these things to run their course. We want this like full circuitry. Okay. That's kind of all the things of tantrums, what to do, what's normal, what's not normal. So let's say that you listen to this and you were like, holy shit, my kid's tantruming, you know, intensely or for hours at a time or too much frequency and you don't know what to do. So again, number one, very first level, you're going to get my book. Yeah. Like you have to get my book because It's like all the things that go on behind the scenes that go into this sort of high intensity behavior. Yeah. Secondly, you want to consult with a parenting expert. Oh, I'm one. (laughs) So again, shamelessly plugging myself, but this is my podcast, right? So you want to check in with me. Um, I am trying to take the month of May off, but if, you know, if you needed a quick consult or even if you wanted to hit me up with, can you just tell me if this is normal or not? That's totally cool. Like, I just don't know if this is something I should be concerned on. Okay. And so that's where a parenting expert can be very helpful. That's where I can super help is like, oh, whoa, that's out of my wheelhouse, but here's how, here's the path you should take. Here are the people you should seek out, okay? The next level is you want to go to your pediatrician and express your concern, but be specific, kind of come with your... I wouldn't go to a pediatrician and say, I'm concerned my kid's tantruming too much. I'd be very specific. I'm concerned my child's tantrums are lasting 40 minutes. He's causing damage to the house, to my, to me, to him. And that way your pediatrician can get a referral, give you a referral rather. Why I'm saying be specific, I am seeing a very odd thing in the potty training world, which is pediatricians are for some reason 
not quick to refer. And this is mostly speaking to Americans because our healthcare system is so broken. I think it's a speed thing. I don't know. I'm not in the system, so I don't know if it's an insurance thing or what, but I have pediatricians brushing off like pretty severe things in my opinion, you know, like, oh, it's okay if your kid hasn't pooped in a week or, oh, it's okay if your kid's been dribbling pee for three years. It's just really, it's a little scary to me how fast they're sort of brushing things off or kind of giving bad advice just in an effort to be fast. So, and I know it's not everybody and I'm not, this isn't an indictment against pediatricians. I'm just saying you need to be specific and you might need to fight for this because again, I'm just seeing this kind of strange thing happening. And your pediatrician will, you know, if it is of concern, your pediatrician might break it down and say, well, this is why I don't think it's concerning, which is great. If they have the time and they do that, you know, that's awesome. But then they might refer you out to an occupational therapist or a behavioral therapist who can do some diagnostic testing or, you know, give you some extra tools for your toolbox. There's such a range when we talk about normal, there's like above, you know, there's above, below, there's, you know, within normal range, there's just out of normal range. And then there's like, oh my goodness, let's really dive into this. Now, if you do feel like, like, oh my God, something must be wrong, just don't freak out. Just know that early intervention is often the best thing you can do for your kid if something is you know, really wrong. If all of those markers were like, holy shit, my kid's off the map when it comes to tantrums. So know that. And again, know that there could be other things underneath it. So we don't want to brush off this behavior if it seems concerning, because we do want to get to the root of it because your child could be suffering. All right. That was a lot on just the, the lowly, uh, tantrum (laughs) as always. I appreciate your patronage more than I can say. And I appreciate you rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book, presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.